Welcome to the podcast edition of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. I'm your host, Pat Braden, broadcasting to you over the virtual airwaves from the Love Shack studio here in the heart of Old Town Yellowknife Northwest Territories. Now, I'm a bass player, Chapman stick player, singer-songwriter, and I've been playing music throughout the North since about 1977. As a young musician, I was caught up in the explosion of popular music in the world through the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. As I got older, I thought there must have been the same thing happening up here, just in a different place and on a different scale. So in 2003, I started to interview the older players who taught me most of what I know today, and many more musicians that I'd only ever heard of. My intention was to have an accessible and free place where anyone could go to learn about these players, and the musical times and the lives that they lived. Over the years, I've collected 30-plus interviews and created an archival website at www.musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. Some of these interviews are quite long, so I wanted to bring the core of their stories to a more accessible format. So I created this series of podcasts to continue the celebration of the musical lives of these northern musicians who performed in northern Canada from the 1950s through to the mid-1970s. Thanks for tuning in. Please send any questions and comments to me through this website. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. There are a couple of musicians who were very influential to me when I was starting out. One of them was John Telgen. Everyone knew him as JT. I first got to hear him playing drums when I was sneaking into the trap line or the gallery for the Saturday afternoon jam sessions when I was 15 years old. In a couple of years, I was playing six nights a week with JT in the band Friends with Sandy Wilson and the late Terry Mercer. I was incredibly fortunate to be playing with him at such a young age. JT's fluid yet solid playing was instrumental in my own development as a bass player. Playing six nights a week for months at a time, there was more of an improvisational approach to our playing to keep the music interesting and challenging for ourselves and for the audience. JT was always turning me on to the latest jazz fusion music from the 1970s, as well as required listening of the earlier jazz greats. I was really hungry to listen and to learn as much as I could about music when I started out and I looked for players such as JT to feed me what they were listening to. Not a bad way to grow up. It was so good to hear of his own early days playing music in Ontario in the mid to late 1960s, and to hear, from his perspective, about that time when all of this incredible new music was exploding, not only from Canadian bands, but from the American bands touring north of the border. Again, It was a time I missed out on, and I'm thankful that I could get a hit from musicians like JT, who played and lived it. JT starts the interview by going back to his first musical influences in Prescott, Ontario. I'm from a pretty musical and artistic family, so early on my brothers used to, everybody used to play and sing and sit around the kitchen table when I was like, you know, nine, ten, eight years old from what I remember, and taking me to barn dances and falling asleep on hay bales while adults were indulging in their fun times. (laughs) And uh, that was in Ontario, just south of Ottawa there. 
and then later on I sort of left some of that. I used to play guitar and piano at home as a kid and then sort of moved from the country into the city and sort of left it behind for a few years and then hooked up with friends again and uh, started a little band, garage band, with, uh, uh, who was in some of those earlier bands? I can't remember. Oh, Alex Kakem. He was in Yellowknife for a while. And uh, uh, another good friend of mine was uh, Tom Byers. He was on bass. You know, when you're when you're in your teens, you have a lot of garage bands and, and basement bands or whatever, and you play some little gigs around high schools. And, and, uh, and then one time uh, we... Uh, hooked up with some other good friends of mine and uh, two fellows from Toronto come down and they had like uh, one of those uh, delivery vans with the sliding doors in it or whatever and they were looking for a band that they could be roadies with and manage or whatever Simon and Dave I think we all got together chipped in some money and rented a cottage down on the St. Lawrence and uh, you know put a book together it was Earl Murphy, Mike Laforte, myself, uh, man, I can't even remember. That's so a couple of days ago. But, uh, yeah, and they got us some gigs playing high schools around the uh, Ottawa area. And then uh, we ended up in Toronto. And uh, that's a whole other side story there at Toronto in what, early days. What songs were you playing? Well, uh, it was basically, uh, we, were, we were hippies, so we were into the, you know, Santana, you name it, the early first Santana albums, uh, uh, Bloodwind Pig uh, goes on and on and on. Uh, can't remember all the names of the bands. Of course, The Cream, you know, Eric Clapton, Hendrix, uh, Iron Butterfly, you know, all those old bands were playing a lot of cover tunes. They were cover bands. None of them uh, any of us weren't good enough to write our own stuff <laughs> and go out there so it was uh, yeah basically it was all cover and uh, what uh, what years would that have been oh that's uh, years would be end of the 60s around the end of the 60s you know 66 67 um, I think we ended up in Toronto some of us and put a band together there that was early 70s 71 somewhere in there and I remember because we we're we we're all living in Rochdale or nearby in Rochdale or rooming houses or something like that way up on Bloor Street and we had to go way all the way down Bloor Street all the way down uh, Young Street down to King and over across the church because we had rented a space in those days everybody rehearsed there in Toronto it was called Nash Rehearsal Studios uh, five-man electrical band, Lighthouse, uh, uh, I can't even begin to remember all the bands that were in there. But you'd hear them in the hallways. We had a little room up on the third floor or something like that. But that band, uh, we were basically putting it together to try and play all the sleazy clubs on King Street. But you know, we, we were so broken, we, uh, that band never got off the ground. What bands would you have seen coming through at that time, local and like different touring acts and stuff? Oh, there used to be bands that used to play on the, the second floor patio and in the cafeteria. I remember one of the first times I was ever in that crazy building, which uh, 
we won't get into, but <laughs> they, uh, it was uh, it was somebody like Mash McCann or something out of Montreal was playing with Jerry Mercer on drums in the in the, in the cafeteria of all places, you know. And uh, yeah, well, of course it was uh, Lighthouse. Uh, we used to run around, try and catch those guys wherever we could for free concerts in parks they had around Toronto in those days. And then uh, if Lighthouse was on the gig, we'd be looking at uh, Joel Mendelson, Mendelson Mainline. I remember seeing uh, first time I'd ever heard of Morgan Davis was at the was in the village in uh, in Toronto at the Minerberg or something like that. I think it was. We used to frequent the village quite often, and uh, all kinds of people we'd see. I mean, from Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, lots of little coffee houses. Uh, we used to see those guys and just uh, watch intently and pick up whatever we could as young young wannabe players, you know, to absorb it all. Colonial downtown Toronto, they always had top name acts at the Colonial. We'd go in and it was uh, cheap, cheap, cheap for uh, broke musicians. We could go in and see these places. Yeah, they'd have Howlin' Wolf in, in there. Lots of bands from uh, the other side of the river, like the other side of Windsor, you know, Chicago, Detroit and that. Lots of them would come around the Toronto area in those days. Oh yeah, Rough Trade, we'd go see them all the time, uh, yeah, I remember seeing uh, Martha Reeves from uh, original Martha and the Vandellas, she'd have a band that uh, was blasting through the the Colonial, uh, boy I just can't even recall all some of them, but it was it was, it was was full of music, it was a pretty good, uh, it wasn't just Toronto, but that, uh, the so-called Golden Triangle, Ottawa, London, St. Catharines and all that, there were so many clubs in those days that uh, a band could make a living. You drive to Kingston, you do a show, you drive to Brockville, you do a show, next thing you know, not too far from Ottawa, you can drive, and uh, these bands would all, uh, you, you know, travel around that area, and it was like a circuit, you know, but there was a lot of it, and uh, so you had pretty good exposure, you know, yeah. But uh, throughout that time, uh, the guitar player, a good friend of mine, Sandy Wilson, and we're all in that band together. And uh, Sandy had uh, shortly, I believe it was fairly shortly after that, he uh, I don't know, he he ended up in Yellowknife because of somebody else was up there that he knew. So I, I kicked around some more. I sort of put the music aside for a little bit, and then ended up. Uh, he, I can't remember what it was. Oh yeah, I was at a, I was living out in the country near Ottawa in a farmhouse and a good friend of mine who was uh, playing baseball in Yellowknife for the Ward Air Twins, uh, fastball. And he had pitched the team to Ottawa for finals. And he was a pitcher. And uh, so while he was there, him and Cookie came out to my place and said that, uh, Sandy, your old guitar player, needs a drummer. You know, I says, well, where's he need? What do you mean? He needs a drummer. Yeah, he needs a drummer in Yellowknife. That's how I heard about Yellowknife. And uh, then uh, I think it was the following year after that, I, uh, I moved to Yellowknife. Tell me about your trip to Yellowknife. <laughs> that was the trip up. Trip to Yellowknife. Oh, let me see. 
I remember going up, I didn't have, uh, pockets were pretty empty. Me and the girlfriend, a dog and a drum kit. <laughs> I had an old 62 Pontiac and uh, gassed it up, made sure, kicked the tires and uh, just started heading uh, heading down the road. And I'd never been uh, really out of Ontario, you know. Going east into into Quebec, yes, but uh, yeah, that was uh, it was it was I, you know, if I look back on, it, I can't remember any real problems that we had. The car ran great. We drove uh, just like crazy every day as much as you could, and uh, you know, it was just great to see the country. And we we're going off to do young young couple going off to do something, you know, something new, and it was pretty pretty big adventure. When you got to Yellowknife. Uh, what happened? What was your initial impression of, of the town at the end of the Forever Highway? Uh, I was surprised at the size of the place. It was bigger than I had expected. And um, just happy to be there in one piece and still had a couple of dollars in the pocket. Never had mechanical issues. Uh, pulled up in front of the Yellowknife Inn. I got out to stretch my legs and just to try and find my bearings. And uh, there's a cab honking the horn at me and it was uh, Alex Gatham. So he says, uh, just hang tough, I'm just about off shift here, and then we'll go down. And I ended up, uh, we stayed with him for, for a couple of weeks. That uh, fall that you drove up was the fall of what year? Oh, the fall of 73, September uh, 73, yeah. The leaves, uh, the leaves were well on their way, the closer we got to Yellowknife to turning. How were your first weeks, months like getting settled? Uh, uh, first weeks, well, the first few days, just trying to find, uh, trying to find my feet. I also take us around and, uh, you know, some of the clubs and everything. I think it was, uh, there were some guys that needed a drummer because they were doing a wedding. And I think it was two weeks after I got to Yellowknife, I was playing uh, Violet Erasmus' wedding upstairs in the old Legion. I got paid better than I had ever had been paid for with any other band as a, as a, as a kid. So, uh, and that worked. That sort of uh, turned into a little band that we carried on on the weekends at the Legion. Who was that with? Alan. Uh, who was that with? Uh, guy singing, blonde blonde kid. Alan Hyatt. Randy Demon. From Sir John, he was a music teacher. He was playing bass, and then. Uh, I think the Moore brothers were in on that band. I know they would, that band sort of changed personnel some quite often. We would play uh, Friday and Saturday night dances at the Legion upstairs. It was Pat Moore and uh, man, I can't remember the other the other brothers. Terry, I think. Terry, yeah, 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 yeah. I think what, he was the youngest. I'm not sure. What kind of music were you playing? Man, that's a good question. Pretty well top 40 stuff at the time. Uh, it's pretty well whatever was on the radio and stuff, and, and country, of course, you know. From there, you, you probably got to meet other musicians and introduced other players? Of course, at night, if I wasn't working throughout the week, we were down in, uh, at the trap line. And uh, Sandy Wilson, Tom Hudson, Kelly Tippett, Terry Mercer, the bass players would change before Charles got in there. And, uh, oh yeah, I most definitely uh, used to keep my eyes glued to Kelly just to pick up whatever I could because he was a competition drummer out of, out of Victoria. You know, they used to, you know, learn with uh, pipe band, marching band, 
So his hand technique was uh, really astounding. It was really, really incredible. But he didn't have it on the bottom end as much with his with his feet, and so he would ask me to show him to do stuff because I could do those those triplets that you know Bonham did with Zeppelin and all that. And he says, "Well, how do you do that?" His playing was all from the top up, and mine was more from the ground, the other way around. So we used to exchange ideas. But uh, he was uh, basically the first one who taught me uh, proper rudiments and uh, wrote them out on a napkin in the bar or something like that, you know. And I, th I think I still have them somewhere, you know. It was invaluable stuff. And just to pick his brain. And we go across to the, well, the gallery was going in those days and uh, uh, Gold Range, of course, you know. And whoever was playing uh, in town at the time, we'd do. Give him a listen. Try and pick up stuff. At that point in, in 73, when you got there, was there bands coming up from down south or was it all local bands that were filling in those clubs? The gallery was hiring bands from the south, I, re I recall that. And this is before uh, before the Explorer Hotel. Later on, of course, that, uh, that cabaret up there, the Snowshoe, started hiring outside uh, show bands. But uh, as far as the Gold Range was, uh, it was mostly local, I believe, but or from the the surrounding area, you know, maybe out of Hay River, who knows. The trap line would bring in uh, shows. They would keep a local band as a house band for six, eight weeks or more at a time. And then they would bring in a, a, a group of some sort uh, at, the, at the trap line, the yellow, yellow knife in. But the gallery, I believe, always you know, every two or three weeks brought in different bands. That's how Charles came to town, because they brought in that, that show band or whatever, and Charles stayed, you know, and then, uh, you know, but the, she wasn't really hiring bands, and then uh, that's how we, he, he got, got with us. I think the first time I met him was like downstairs at the Legion on one of our breaks or something like that from upstairs. Uh, Archie was downstairs playing with, with some guys, and, and Charles used to love country music. You know, but a lot of those southern guys from the Bakersfield area, you know, California, where where he was raised, you know, they uh, they liked country music. I, I remember this from way back, you know, that uh, a lot of color folk liked country music, you know, and uh, and so uh, Charles would go down to the Elks or the or the Legion where there was a country band just to catch some good tunes, you know, and. Uh, Always appreciated that. Not only that, but I mean, uh, you know, Charles, the, the, the things he taught us as a young band was, you know, I mean, uh, what more could you ask for? The guy had a, you know, he had a hundred and a thousand and one intros and a thousand and one outs, and he'd go, Sandy, that's just to start it that way. Do this little hook here, this little turnaround here, boom, you're in, you know. It was all this neat little stuff that he had. It was just, Pro, you know, just professional stuff that when you're sort of uh, landlocked into a place like Yellowknife, you don't have exposure to that, you know. Where uh, that was the, that was one of the only things I missed when I first moved to Yellowknife was uh, some of that because I, you know, being from Ottawa area, you, you could go to any club band and you could get your socks knocked off by some heavyweight players, you know, and you could absorb that stuff and watch and then you could up your game because of it. Yeah.
So Charles was older than you guys then. So he was 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 he that, was he that much older than you guys? Oh, wow, absolutely, yeah. Like we were. Uh, I think Sandy's what two years older than I am. So uh, and I think at that time I was 23 when I moved to Yellowknife in '73. So say uh, when did he join the band? '75. You know, I was like 25, Sandy's like uh, 26, 27, and Charles was 46. So he was a senior in the band. Who's that old guy in the band? <laughs> oh yeah, at that time, like, Charles was like, uh, yeah, he was most definitely our senior. And uh, yeah. Oh, and he had, he had, like you say, he's coming from Bakersfield. So I mean, when you say you like country music, I think about all the, all, all the, Hillbillies is not a derogatory term, but when uh, the whole exodus from Oklahoma was, and everybody was going to California because that was the, the the land of whatever, and they brought the music with them. Sure. And so that would have landed him there in the in the, in the country thing. Yeah. But I mean, at forty-seven years old at that time, so I mean, he would have been. Anyways, he would have <laughs> he would have seen the whole development of being you know, right from big band to. Um, you know, yeah. uh, into the rock and roll and yeah, the yeah. blues and country thing and, and watched all of that and then been carrying that with him in, in, the, and in, in the basement. Yeah, he would talk about those things, you know, just in the break and him and I sit in the corner by ourselves or whatever. And uh, after the gig at the, at the trap line, many nights when we were playing there, night after night, playing all of our stuff and playing our pants off and that, man, lots of nights he couldn't get out quick enough to go down to the Elks and catch a country band. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He would always try and get the last call down in those places. Wow, even. But then again, I don't know. He was probably chasing some Maybe, ladies yeah. too. <laughs> something else, something else, bringing him down there. So between Charles and. But no, he would most definitely. He always, uh, yeah, he would go. He'd go over to the Cold Range and uh, yeah. Between playing in a band with Charles and also Randy Demon and from. From what different people say about Randy, it was just like he was light years ahead of anybody musically. Oh, of course he was. I learned a lot from that guy. And uh, I was brand new to Yellowknife, man. Next thing you know, there's a music teacher sitting beside me with a with a Groucho Marx mask on to play bass at night because he wasn't supposed to. At that time as well, uh, as well as the clubs, there, there was the Legions and the Elks, and also the Rec Halls were happening. Did you get a chance, or did you, the bands that you were playing with, did you ever play those, those, uh, those places? I played the old Giant Rec Hall a couple of times. Uh, I played uh, Con Rec Hall quite a number of times over the years in different musical situations. Yeah, the old, uh, the old Con Rec Hall I played there, uh, the Giant Rec Hall I played there. Elks, I think. A, Played the old Lions Club at one time. Uh, yeah, Elks played upstairs uh, dances, of course, in the Elks. Yeah, yeah. And enough enough work to keep uh, you solvent to make a living, or you know, finding a place to stay. And oh yes, absolutely. It was uh, we were uh, ended up after Kelly moved on and and uh, Sandy. Uh, reorganized the band friends that that was at the trap line all the time we uh, God we'd be crying for time off because we play for six eight weeks at the trap line and then we'd have a week down and then we'd be in the gallery for six weeks or so Charles and Gladys would hire us as a house band there and then we'd uh, do a couple of weeks over at the uh, Gold Range or something and 
you could definitely make a living, yeah. And they were paying pretty good. And if that's all you did, you, uh, I mean, we were sometimes looking for time off. We were, we were working lots. Yeah, throughout the mid-70s especially, yeah. Six days a week. Yeah, six days a week. Sunday was your day of rest. Other local players um, that you remember from that time that were active on the scene, maybe you weren't playing with them, but other bands, either uh, local bands, uh, and I'm even thinking some of the groups coming out of Acacia Hall. Yeah, I, I used to get called quite a bit to fill in for all kinds of situations in those days. Uh, John Sigvalson and uh, had a, and I can't, I think, a, before Norm, or Norm was in there, Glowich maybe, but they, I can't even remember the, the name of that little group they had. Stonehenge. And uh, the, the girl, blonde girl, Joanne. Joanne Burgess. Yes, yeah, and uh, they would phone me to fill in if they had a show at the, they, they had a week or so they had to do at, at the trap line and that, or uh, for a dance at Sir John. What's his name? Uh, Old Wilf from uh, St. Pat's, and uh, uh, and was it Hans? You have his old bass, you have that upright. I remember them uh, calling me, to. they needed a drummer to do some polka type stuff at, at the old uh, St. Pat's school. And then uh, I think it was uh, through that, I got the call to do that, uh, it was a Yellowknife album called Two Hands and Forever, I think. And, uh, and it was a big choir, and they needed uh, tracks behind that. And, and this is, man, I can't even remember the year of that now. That was in the 70s sometimes. And I remember they brought in uh, into the CBC studio. They had to lay some drum tracks after the fact, after this big choir. What were some of the more memorable gigs that you did in the that you remember? Oh, memorable gigs? Um... Oh, uh, hands down, opening the show for B.B. King with frozen feet <laughs> at the old Jerry Murphy Arena. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was, uh, of course, I mean, when you're early 20s and you get the chance to open up for uh, for one of the people that you've known about for so long. And uh, not only that, meet them all and, and just great people, you know. Uh, yeah, that that would be the top of the list for that era. How did that game come to you guys? Well, the piano player in the band and another fella, they put a little uh, production company together and somehow they pulled it off that they could get B.B. King and Yellowknife. And then of course, you know, to do a show in the arena. And if, if that was the case, well, they need an opening act. And and uh, it was part of, I was part of that band that the piano player was in on. and he, him and the other fellow had the production uh, or promotion. I can't even remember what they they called themselves, but uh, yeah, that's how we got the gig to do it. Yeah, I remember piecing all this equipment together, and uh, you know, the, the equipment in those days was uh, something to be desired. It was okay, but what for an arena show when when you had vets like that coming in, BB King and everything, and uh, you know. And they were used to monitors and good monitors and all that, so it was uh, it was quite the hair puller to get that thing even to work. But uh, it, it all worked out, you know, and uh, everybody had a good time, from what I understand. <laughs> yeah. Cool. 
intimidating though to open the show for those those guys, you know. The 70s, that's going back like, quite a ways. Um you got to remember a lot of times for me, and and uh, and and if I if I if it was the band's friends you're uh, we're talking about, like it was uh, it was work for us, and and we we tried to put our work in, you know, but uh, we had, we had uh, yeah, it was it was work, and we just tried to do a good job. How did you find the music scene sort of change? I know you were there in '73, and I'm sort of chopping you off at sort of '75 or '77. But um, um, I guess within those those early years, um, what changes did you see happening on the local scene? With the uh, Snowshoe Lounge opening up and uh, bringing in those cabaret bands, that it's it you know they're bringing in some really good acts, and that sort of upped the ante for everybody locally in town. That uh, you know you, when you're in a small town, you can get complacent as far as doing your homework and your craft to make sure it's, you know, it's somewhere uh, worth the, for people to pay for. <laughs> things, I, I noticed some things were starting to change then in the mid-70s as far as the the scene went. Uh, uh, the music was changing, I don't believe just in Yellowknife, but it was changing, uh, it was changing quite a bit all over. And those influences took a bit. But they they made their way to Yellowknife and and through through the gallery and uh, and uh, snowshoe uh, lounge. I remember I, th I think Sandy and I talked about this before how uh, you know we started to change what songs we would pick up and put into the book and uh, uh, country was really uh, you know more so taking off the TV country. With the rhinestones and all that, then you could uh, you could tell some of that was changing. But uh, Yellowknife was sort of humming along, doing its own thing, you know. But uh, I remember that time uh, that time where I myself personally was starting to play more country and country rock, where I hadn't really done that before. Uh, uh, the band Friends sort of disbanded. And uh, shortly after that, we all know uh, when uh, Terry passed away, and uh, so I was getting more calls to do country gigs here and there, and playing in the in the Gold Range and, and playing with Tony. You know, always had fun playing with Tony, but I started playing more country and uh, um, yeah, and just before that, it was like uh, I don't know, playing with Brian and and Rob Wixon, Bernie Clean. Uh, Barney, he's passed away now. We all called him Barney. He was playing some uh, some fiddle and, and guitar and singing most of the songs. And Wayne was playing rhythm, and I was on drums. And uh, oh, Rob Wixon was playing bass. And uh, yeah, I know we did a thing there for a couple of years, on and off. There's some pictures of us at the at the early early uh, concerts we used to have at uh, Pettitoe Park. The start of uh, Folk and the Rocks. I've got some pictures at home of that, and of that band. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm, sometimes I think I'm getting old timers. I can't remember some of that stuff, but you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, that's a long time ago. I would like to thank John for sharing his rich musical life story with musicians of the Midnight Sun. To hear more, see photographs of his life, and the full interview transcript, check out musiciansofthemidnightsun.com, linked in the show notes. You can follow along as well on Facebook and Instagram. 
If you would like to support the continuation of this project, please donate it on our website, musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. I would like to thank the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee and the Northwest Territories Creative Industries Economic Recovery Fund for supporting this podcast series. And to thank the Northwest Territories Arts Council, Government of the Northwest Territories, Department of Education, Culture and Employment, the Yellowknife Community Foundation, and the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee for supporting the website so far. A full list of supporters can be found on the website. The archival audio of this podcast is from the Northern Musicians Project Collection at the Northwest Territories Archives. I'm Pat Braden. Thanks for listening.